You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. What should we do? His answer, wait. Wait for what? Until the Lord comes. Why? Because then he will bring to light everything, including their motives. You can't bring to light their motives, and I can't either. It's really hard. So James and Paul rebuke premature and inadequate judgment by us. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. That shows how gracious we are to be with one another. One day, each and every one of us will stand before God. We will need to give an account of everything we did and thought. It will undoubtedly be a very humbling time for all of us. But is that something we think about when we have an issue with those around us? Would it change how we pass judgment on each other? Pastor Tom will discuss the right and wrong way to deal with others when they fall short and will encourage us to show the same mercy and grace that we've received from our Father. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he continues his message, Who are you to judge your brother? People do that with our words, right? Someone will come up and say, you said such and such. Nah, man, that's quoting me out of context. Well, we do that. We also take our actions out of context. We see someone doing something and we put it into a preconceived context and it often is a more negative context and we think those thoughts about others. Maybe it's because we don't want to be naive. We don't want to be burned by someone. So we tend to think more negatively to make sure that we catch them when that happens. But often it's just not necessary and we're not assuming the best of our brethren. This is a little bit less like preaching today and a little bit more like a talk, isn't it? We're just having a conversation about these things. I know, I'm doing all the talking. So it really is preaching. But it's just talking through how does this actually work in life. Sometimes the critic elevates something that's small and makes it become much bigger than it is. Again, it's wrong and his information is correct, but it's just making what we say a mountain out of a what? A molehill, right? Part of the problem is this. It's generated by, by the Bible. And I don't mean to blame the Bible on it, but how we use the Bible. We'll go to the Bible and we'll be reading or we'll hear a sermon and we'll come to a conclusion the Bible teaches something about morality. And now, now that's in us and we believe that. And that's part of what we hold as a conviction. And then we bump into somebody and we, want, and we see them do something and we think our first thought is, ah, they're doing what the Bible says not to do. And... The problem isn't with our understanding of the Bible. The problem's not with our interpretation of the Bible. We got that right. Our problem is with how we apply the Bible in correction to someone else. Does that make sense? So if that other person really does match what the Bible's talking about, then that would be an appropriate correction from the Word of God for them. But if we jump the gun, and that's only part of the issue and not the main issue, and there's another issue going on that another part of the Bible talks to, we would need to have a little bit more wisdom to put that together and talk to the person about what they really do need to hear and not bang, bang on the, maybe that's 10% of the problem and we blow that out of proportion. So again, we can have a desire to be biblical and study it right and gain a conviction right, but not be slow enough in our observations about the person to apply it right. I know I've done that. We have to put it this way. We have to do more than interpret the Bible correctly. We have to apply the Bible correctly. And not just in our own lives, we have to apply it to other people's lives as well. Sometimes counseling can be a lot trickier and more difficult and involved than preaching. 
I can stand up here and one of you come up later and say, man, you were speaking to me. You know, did you know about such and such? You know, I can't believe you were saying that directly to me. I'm not. I'm saying it to all y'all, you know. I don't know if the shoe fits. If the shoe fits, wear it, you know. The shoe often fits my foot and I have to wear it. But in counseling, it's one-on-one, and you better know the, the heart that you're dealing with when you're talking with them. Otherwise, they're going to go, ah, this person hasn't listened to me, and, you know, I'm not, they're just critical and all of that. Someone might see, here's another thing, someone might see another person who's discouraged and down and say, you know, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. That's true. That's exactly true. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's really emphasized in Scripture, but the Scripture also allows for legitimate mourning. There's a time for mourning as well, right? And so you don't necessarily, you know, someone come up over, you know, I see you're down. I just wanted to give you this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. You, know, you want to grab them by the, pull them down and you say, don't, don't give me your advice. I didn't ask for it, you know. The Bible also says some things rather strongly. And so we think that we can go up to someone and say it just as strongly as the Bible does. The Bible has a lot of love in it. (laughs) The Bible has a lot of gentleness in it, too. The Bible has a lot of explanation of it. And if you don't carry that with you and the same love along with that truth, then you're going to convey the truth part of it, but not have all the rest the Bible has behind it, the gentleness and kindness of God, His long-suffering with us. And Have you been patient with that person at all? And so, again, we think we're being biblical, but we're misusing the Bible in how we talk to others. The Bible instructs us not just what we should say, but how to say it. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. You know it, and I know it. It's just hard to do. That means we need to change our tone. Now, if you've been married for a while like I have, you know that you can pick up on things right away, you know. One spouse says a little something. Even the tone's just slightly off, and then the other one says, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, what do I mean? Well, you had that tone. No, I didn't. Oh, yes, you did. I know. I've been around here 33 years. I know. So we, we know that. So tone is, is really important, isn't it, when we go to talk to somebody? Does it sound understanding or does it sound like we're just getting around to the point where I'm going to level the guns and I'm trying to look like I'm being really gentle, but I'm not really? And by the way, people know that. And they figure that out. That's why a lot of corrections don't work too well is because we're going into the conversation in our mind is like, how am I going to correct this person? I got to correct this person. I got to, I got to do it. I've got to correct them. Instead of, I need to love this person, understand them, and then after I understand everything, I need to give the proper encouragement and correction that's there. And there's a huge difference in all of that, isn't there? So the Bible warns about strong truth not spoken in love and empathy as well. Like Jesus with the adulterous woman. He did both. Neither do I condemn you, he said. Now, he's just dismissed the whole crowd. Do you remember the story? They've all picked up stones. They've dragged her embarrassingly in front of Christ. The law says to stone a woman to death. What do you say, Jesus? He's put on the spot. He draws on the ground. Who knows what he drew? And then he says, okay, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And, of course, people drop their stones. They walk away. She says, woman, where are your condemners? And she says that they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he said what? Go and sin no more. What you did was a sin. It was wrong. He didn't elaborate on it. I can't believe you're so unfaithful to your husband. Do you not understand how terrible this is? He didn't drag her through the mud, but he did uphold the standard of God because the standard of God not only honors God, it helps the woman and helps the man as well. Of course, we don't know anything about the marriage itself. But the point is he was able to give that strong correction 
in a soft tone after already demonstrating a lot of love and graciousness to them, okay? So you can speak tough truth, but when you're one-on-one particularly, you got to lower it down a little bit. And the other mistake I think we make is we try to be like the tone of the preacher. You, you can't do that. When, you know, a preacher can have a preacher's tone because <laughs> he's talking to hundreds of people. And it's not to be taken personally. I know some of you do. But it's not to be taken that way. But when I come down from the pulpit, the first person I meet, I'm not going to speak to them. Now, today I'm lowering my tone a little bit, but I'm not going to speak to them with the heights that I get to. God hates sin! You know, I'm not going to walk down, you know, front row, find someone, well, God hates your sin! (laughs) It doesn't work that way. We're in small groups. So sometimes we model what we're learning from the preacher up front, but when we go into personal settings, we need to change that a little bit or a lot. Furthermore, sometimes people who speak against others do it not with an angry face. I have to get this in, too, because sometimes we think the person that's speaking against someone has to be foaming at the mouth and look angry. They can be calculating and cunning and seem like they're saying loving things and, well, what I would think is, and the words that come out next are just not fair at all. And they really end up cutting someone down in a very clever kind of a way so that the person speaking, it sounds like, oh, they were just as humble and loving and gentle, but you still somehow felt cut, (laughs) you know? The other mistake people make sometimes is they come up to someone and they say, I forgive you. Forgive me from what? (laughs) Did I do something wrong? There's a judgment that's already been made, you see. When you say, I forgive someone, that already assumes that they've already been through the judge, they're guilty, and now they have the right to come up and say, I forgive you. That can be hurtful. So you can be calm and quiet and under control and still be like that. This is not an injunction here in James against anger. It's against criticism, which cuts down. Nor does this speaking against have to do with speech. Now, we know that he's using the term that means to speak, laleo, but this would extend to what is written as well. And boy, do we write now. We don't write with pen and ink as much as we type now. So we type and we even talk into our little cell phones. I found this to be true. It is a lot harder to criticize someone to the face, would you agree, than it is to start typing. You know, I'll give them my mind. It's cowardly, wouldn't you agree? If you're not willing to say that to their face and look in their eyes and show love, why are you typing it and putting it on whatever you're putting it on, you know, the email and Facebook and all the rest of that? I think there's a a distance and a safety. I can go ahead and say all these things that just need to be said. Well, if they really need to be said, the best if it's that strong, the best way to do it is probably face-to-face. That may not solve it, but that's probably the best approach to take. So watch out with writing. Writing sometimes can be where cowards vent their venom. And remember, if you're thinking it in your mind, there's already a problem. And so you have to work with what you're thinking on. Sometimes there are people that hurt me, and my mind wants to start going down the pathway where, well, if they did that, they must have thought that. And if they thought that, I bet you they'll do this. Do you ever do that? But all that stuff is imagination. It's wrong. It's not thinking correctly. So I go back to the Lord and go, all I know is this, Lord, and now I need to love them, pray for them, And if there's an issue, I need to deal with it face-to-face. And I don't always do that perfectly, but that's what I know in my conscience I should be doing. In all of this, it is criticism which judges them, criticism which reveals a judgment about them. 
Be careful about the conversations on the ride home from church too, by the way. This is where you can correct one another in the family. Whoa, did you see so-and-so? You know what I heard today in church is? That's where a lot of the stuff starts. Would you agree? Would you agree? See, now you're incriminating yourself. Because there's not too many people in your car on the way home, is there? So now you know you kind of just stuck foot in mouth there. But that's where it starts is something's talked about. We're smiling. We're acting like we're encouraging one another. But then it starts behind the scenes or in the meetings that follow or in the phone calls that follow. 1 Corinthians, I knew I wasn't going to get too far. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. That's interesting. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. They are not to judge is the common Greek verb krino. That means to judge, to decide, to determine. Sometimes it has a negative conclusion, and then it would mean to condemn. A related verb is anakrino, to examine. That's the term that Paul used in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 4 where he said, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you, judged by you. There in 1 Corinthians 4, timing is a key element. And this gets a little bit into why we don't judge, but I'll just bring it in here. Don't judge now, basically Paul wrote. Well, then what should we do? His answer, wait. Wait for what? Until the Lord comes. Why? Because then he will bring to light everything, including their motives. You can't bring to light their motives, and I can't either. It's really hard. So James and Paul rebuke premature and inadequate judgment by us. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. That shows how gracious we are to be with one another. Again, Romans 14, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Sometimes that judging comes out when people are doing something the Scriptures do not forbid, but you, in your conscience or in your family, it is forbidden, and then the judging starts because it's a man-made rule, not a God-given rule. There's not a lot of rules God had. And even with principles from the Bible, principles can be arranged in different ways sometimes. And the way you arrange what the priority of principles is may not be the wisest way in that situation. So we even as we use principles, and we should, have to be careful with that. Wrongful judging is done with incomplete information. In other words, people don't gather enough facts before drawing a conclusion. That's why we get wisdom from the Proverbs that say things like this in chapter 18, verse 13. He who gives an answer before he hears is folly and shame to him. People often will not listen long enough or well enough to make good judgments. I get asked all the time what I think about things, and I know I must sound stupid sometimes, but I just say, I don't know, I need more information. I don't know, I need more information. I don't like to make decisions without more information. Please don't press me to make a decision or a judgment. I don't know enough yet. <laughs> and once I learn more, I'll come up with a judgment. I like to have information to make a good judgment. Then Romans 14, again, it says, let us not judge one another anymore. So there it goes with that. What about James 1.19? Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, right? Do a lot of listening before you do the talking. It's disappointing to be around someone who's quick to state a conclusion. What research did they do? What questions did they ask? Who did they talk to? What information has they gathered? On the other hand, it's very encouraging when you see that someone has done their homework, carefully considered all the different angles to the thing, talked to this person, talked to that person, got their facts straight, even wrote them down, and then they come and they say, here's a problem. 
And then you look at that person and you say, you know, that person has been careful. That person cares. That person is scrupulous with details even. And then they make someone that you, you trust a little bit better, that you'll go to that person and talk to them a little bit better, I think. I like Nicodemus' question to the Jews concerning Christ. He said, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? They were condemning Christ too quickly. Proverbs 18, 17, the first to plead his case seems right. That's really true. When someone comes and presents their case, you're like, well, they must be right. I mean, <laughs> that was very persuasive. Until you come and you listen to the next guy. And he's like, well, that guy was all wrong. This guy's right. And so we have to be very careful because sometimes on TV, all you're getting is one side. Or they're acting like they're giving you two sides, but the one who gave the one side was a real expert and was eloquent, and the other one who gave the other side, they made him look like kind of dumb, you know? Jesus said in John 7, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. What does that mean? Investigate. Find out what's really going on. Wrongful judging shows partiality. Deuteronomy says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. This is chapter 1, verse 17. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you shall, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. Some people want to side with a friend. A friend comes with a problem. Oh, it must be true because you want to side with a friend because they're your friend and you want things to be good. But you have to tell your friend, look, I, I, I trust you, I believe you, I love you, but we have to hear both sides. You have to learn to do that. Sometimes we want to uh, just believe what they're saying because we're afraid of them. We don't want to go against them because they're intimidating. There's someone in authority, so it must be true. And so the guy that doesn't have as much influence, he gets picked on and he doesn't get justice. If that can happen to judges officially in society, that can happen even among ourselves as well. Deuteronomy 16, 19 to 20 says, you shall not distort justice, you shall not be partial, you shall not take a bribe. All of these things have to do with understanding things properly. Sometimes people get upset at elders. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 5, 19, don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. One witness is not enough. It's just not enough. Even if the person knows exactly what they saw, it's not enough. But if you gather the information, you don't show partiality, you're not afraid of people, you make sure the witnesses and the information agrees, then you're allowed to come to a conclusion, a judgment. Can't see the hidden heart or know the motives, but we can judge the fruit. We can judge the words and the actions as right or wrong. But here's the point. Even with righteous judging, it must be done to try to help. We must not exaggerate the faults of the guilty. It's, it's the silly political season now, is it not? As soon as anyone makes the slightest statement that's wrong, or they got something wrong, the other side has it going out over and over and over again. They're not even trying to understand what they meant. They're just taking advantage of misspoken words, right? It's exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing with one another. That's going to go on in the world. It should not go on in church. And they're like training people, once you get that amount of information, make that much of a conclusion. It's just wrong. It's wrong no matter which side you are on. So the distinction between right judging and wrong judging has to do with how we judge and what we judge and why we judge. Church can only judge what is outward, that is, the actions. And even there, we have to be careful and get all the facts and speak in love. Judgments always start in the heart. Wrong judging emerges out of sinful attitudes. Pride of knowledge and opinion above other people, lack of genuine concern for another, 
quick to reduce the importance of others in our own minds and to elevate the importance of our own opinions. I think one of the ways we show pride the most is we, um, we value our own opinions much more than that of others. Judging is often the base problem in interpersonal relationships. Often people are unaware that they've made a sinful judgment about other people. And they're unaware that that judgment has hurt the relationship. I like Dave Swavely has a book, and I'd highly recommend it, called Who Are You to Judge? And he writes this, We become severely tempted to sin when we are judged by others, especially when they are wrong about us. Our satanic enemy and our sinful flesh revel in such an opportunity to cause us to become bitter at our critics, judge them in return, or strike back at them for the injustice that they have done to us. When sinful judging takes place, the wall goes up, and the gap between people just widens from there. Sometimes the way you can see judging is a person clams up and gets quiet. In marriage, often the spouse unfairly judges the intents of the other. And what does that do? It ruins oneness. Friends often judge other friends. They assume that what they did was out of spite or something like that. They darken the friend's motives, and now they won't even return a phone call, and that's judging. In church, some people state things more negatively than they are, trying to point out a deficiency but make it look worse and worse. Sometimes we hear someone questions another's commitment to the Lord. You know, I haven't seen so-and-so in church in a while. Okay, so you haven't seen. Maybe they're serving in the back. Maybe they were traveling and they went to church another place. Maybe, 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 right? Careful with that. But sometimes we'll say, well, they must be slacking off. It's okay to be concerned about them, of course, and even to call them up, find out where they are, but not to judge. The media thrives on innuendo. The media thrives on incomplete facts, quick judgments about people. They purposefully stir up the emotions so you'll watch. A black man is shot in a street by a white police officer. And with just a few facts, the media, media gives a few facts, just a few facts, a little bit of objective investigation, but not really much. Already, it seems the majority of people have chosen their sides. The black man was right. The white cop was right. We don't know who's right. We weren't there. And the media doesn't have all the facts. It's unfolding, and they're already having people getting on, what's your opinion about? Why are you even asking them their opinion? They weren't even there. Well, it must be. If that's how you think, then you wrongfully judge people. That's called prejudice. Now, next week, we're going to get into the why judging is wrong, but I'm going to give you a little preview here as we end. When we judge other people, we are not loving them, period. When we judge them wrongly, we are not loving them. Sinful judgment alienates people from one another. When you have ever been wrongfully evaluated and judged by somebody else, you know it's going to be very difficult for you to go back to that person and to ever share something with them again, right? It hurts relationships. This judging is not love, and people intuitively know it. I have not been loved because I haven't been listened to, and I haven't been understood, and you know that, and you feel that. And now that puts distance between you and them. You may shake their hand on Sunday, but you will not ask them or share, share with them a prayer request or ask them about this or that. And so you're, you're backed off from that. That's what judging quietly does in the congregation. And when it happens over and over and over again, there start to be all kinds of walls that are put up between people. And it started with just a, you spoke too soon and made a judgment about somebody. And now that's the opinion that they have of you, that you're the kind of person that speaks too soon and makes wrong judgments.
And so it has destroyed openness, it's destroyed transparency, it's destroyed trust, and until that is overcome, there's going to continue to be that wall that is there. So here's a little advice as we close. Don't conclude that people are avoiding you because you speak the truth and they don't like the truth. You might have to conclude that they're avoiding you because you speak the truth, but you don't speak it in love. And if that's the case, you have some walls to tear down and to go back and to rebuild. It's good to stop and analyze whether or not we view people through the eyes of Jesus, or if we jump to judgments based on our limited perspective. Pastor Tom has made it clear, if we are doing the latter, then we can end up slandering or spreading gossip about others, which only exacerbates the issues. Jesus addressed people's sin, but always from a position of deep love, even in laying down his own rights. Can we do the same? With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time, Pastor Tom is going to challenge us to keep our speech centered and grounded on God's Word, rather than our own opinion or the perspective of others. We often let our opinions on things take precedent in our behavior and speech, but oftentimes we can mislead others into the gospel of the should news rather than the good news if we put our own personal convictions above what Scripture really says. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.